And now on RTHK, it's time for Letter to Hong Kong with Dr. Pierre Chan, representing the Medical Functional Constituency. The following program is a personal view program. Dear fellow doctors, on December 31st, 2019, the Health Authority of Wuhan released an epidemiological alert that 59 suspected cases with fever and dry cough were transferred to a designated hospital weeks after reports of the pneumonia cases in Wuhan and considering the shared history of exposure to Huanan markets across the patients. The World Health Organization, WHO, was also informed of a cluster of pneumonia cases of unknown cause detected in Wuhan city, Hubei province of China on the same day. Although the market was shut down the following day, the number of confirmed cases continued surging on the mainland. China reported 830 confirmed cases with 25 deaths on January 23, 2020. According to China's National Health Commission, all fatalities were in Hubei province. Further cases had emerged in 23 provinces, four municipalities, Hong Kong, Macau, and six other countries, Wuhan and three neighboring cities in central China went into lockdown to contain the spread of a deadly low coronavirus on January 23rd, a day before the WHO was due to meet to decide whether to announce a global emergency. COVID-19 patients showed rather mild symptoms at the onset, which might lead to delayed diagnosis and isolation. In Hong Kong, we expected that asymptomatic infected people would get through border screening undetected and increase the risk of transmission to close contacts. Experts advised the government to take drastic measures to reduce the chance of the epidemic spreading. Rationality does not always prevail, though. Our frontline colleagues were furious about the chronic shortage of surgical masks and personal protective equipment that exacerbated the battle against the COVID-19 outbreak. Others were afraid of catching the virus when working in overcrowded wards that would end up infecting their families and the community. On the other hand, hundreds of thousands of citizens struggled with an acute paucity of face masks and hand sanitizer to protect them against the deadly virus. Memories of SARS in 2003 are still fresh on people's minds. The outbreak infected 1,755 people in Hong Kong and killed 299. The government has been strongly criticized for its belated responses. Chief Executive Carrie Lam invoked the Prevention and Control of Disease Ordinance to impose compulsory quarantine on those arriving from China, where the epidemic continued to surge to 28,018 patients with 563 deaths as of February 5th. 138 more than two days ago, two fatalities had been recorded outside the mainland, in Hong Kong and the Philippines. Everyone coming from the mainland, including Hong Kong residents, will be put into compulsory 14 days quarantine starting from midnight, February 8th. The United States, Australia, Singapore, the Philippines, and a growing number of countries 
were denying entry to foreigners travelling from China to limit the spread on the same day. On February 10th, the government announced the closure of four more control points, including Luohu, leaving only the airport, the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge, and Shenzhen Bay accessible. According to the regulation, except for exempted cross-boundary trunk drivers, all persons having stayed in the mainland for any period during the 14 days preceding arrival in Hong Kong, regardless of nationality and travel documents used, are subjected to compulsory quarantine for 14 days. Contravening the compulsory quarantine requirements is a criminal offence. Offenders are subject to a maximum fine of 25000 and imprisonment for six months. Local residents are expected to self-quarantine at home, while non-locals will be put into quarantine camps or hotels. As of February 15th, 7,858 people had been placed under a 14-day quarantine period, with 90% being Hong Kong residents who were required to stay in their homes. Among those quarantined, two people who breached the order on February 8th were tracked down by the police. The two, both revealed to be elderly people, were found four days later. Another three arrivals attempted to leave Hong Kong but were intercepted. While there are random checks and phone calls to see if those under quarantine are staying put, this cannot entirely remove the risk, with the arrangements greatly reliant on people's self-discipline. The government should close the loopholes by deploying various surveillance technologies to track suspected cases such as location tracking smartphones, wrist brands, webcams, and AI to direct an infrared sensor at the foreheads of moving passengers in railway stations and airports. On February 18th, the Hong Kong government arranged chartered flights to take the residents under quarantine on board the Diamond Princess cruise ship back to Hong Kong after they were permitted to disembark and land. The persons concerned would be arranged to stay at a quarantine centre, Chunyang Estate, for 14 days upon their arrival in Hong Kong. At present, nearly 3,000 Hong Kong people are still stranded in major infected zones, including Wuhan and Princess Diamond cruise ship. The four quarantine centres in the city provide a total of about 150 places, but the occupancy rate is higher than 90% now. In the past weeks, hundreds protested against a government plan to turn Chunyang Estate into quarantine camps and having epidemic clinics in 18 districts. A few clinics were even vandalized with petrol bombs. The anxiety of residents is completely understandable, but these violent acts would seriously undermine the healthcare system to contain coronavirus outbreaks. The designated quarantine centers are to help quickly identify COVID-19 patients and keep the close contacts of infected people isolated from the community, reducing the risks of cross-infection. The city is in desperate need in a heavy dose of hope, confidence to restore peace. The government should provide adequate public consultation and explain its measures unequivocally. The hospital authority has revealed that its current stock of masks 
and protective gear could only last for around a month, far short of the usual practice of maintaining stocks for three months at all times. In the long run, the government must enrich and integrate resources to tackle communicable disease outbreaks and improve collaboration of relevant stakeholders for better infection control. Finally, I would like to thank our frontline colleagues for their dedication in fighting this uphill battle.